Normally when I begin the message on a given Sunday morning, I begin with my own story. But since I'm going to be talking a little bit about my story as a part of the message itself, I thought I'd begin with someone else's story. Uh, several other people's stories, quite frankly. First, I'm going to begin with a biggie from the Old Testament, uh, key player, Moses, his call story. Uh, and then we're going to see what we can glean from our friend Moses and from Paul in uh, the New Testament. So we've got the Hebrew Bible, Moses hero, and we've got the, uh, you know, the New Testament, the Christian Bible, uh, uh, Paul story. Saul, Paul, same guy. Uh, in any case, here we go. Exodus 3. This is uh, the story of Moses. Now, Moses was minding his own business, tending the sheep. I don't need to tell you that because it actually says that in the text. Never mind. Uh, pretend like I didn't say anything. Let the text speak for itself. Moses, uh, Moses, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, turning to Paul's call story, or Saul, either one, in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul, slash Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. These are two stories from the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have begun my call story at lots of different places in, in, in my life, depending upon where I was at that particular time. Somewhere around age 15, uh, on a scout Sunday at a Methodist church I did not attend, but who hosted my scouting troop, my scoutmaster approached me, um, 
and said, James, you go to church. And I said, yeah. He said, they want us to uh, have one of our Eagle Scouts do the sermon at uh, Scout Sunday at St. Paul's United Methodist Church. And I said, okay. So, fine. I uh, sat down with some books. I found some of my grandfather, who was a Methodist pastor's books, and pulled them out and started reading different stories. I'd grown up in Sunday school all my life, knew some stories, but didn't quite know how this preaching thing worked. Uh, I had heard enough preachers in my first 14 years of life, you know, including in utero, because mom took me to church, went to church every Sunday. And so... Uh, I had to figure out what I was going to say, so I preached that sermon, and I was about 15, maybe I was 14, maybe I was 16. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what year it was, but let's say 15, just to round out the numbers. It's a good average mean right there in between. And I preached that first sermon there, and lots of people said positive things about it and talked about maybe I should consider ministry, and I thought, no, not really, don't, don't think so. Um, fast forward several years, uh, I have gone off to college, graduated from high school, uh, and uh, I am in Navy ROTC at the University of Virginia, and I go on my summer cruise uh, after my first year at UVA, and I'm sailing around in the Mediterranean on a, on a Spruance-class destroyer, um, and I'm on watch one night. And so I'm up staring at the stars, and there was just something overwhelming and overpowering about looking up at those stars and that sky, and something inside me moved. Now, I don't know what that movement was exactly. I mean, I look back, and I'm pretty sure it was God. I don't know, uh, I don't know if it was awe, if, where it was, and how that all worked out, but I... I had a conversation with a, a Navy chaplain in the next couple of days as we were sailing around, and he said, you know, you ought to go home and explore these possibilities, and so I did. I came back from my cruise, um, you know, eventually, and uh, that summer, before the end of the summer, and I talked to my home pastor where I grew up at Oakland United Methodist Church, uh, and he said, these are the steps you have to take. So I went and talked to the DS, my district superintendent. I, you know, I met with the staff parish relations committee, pastor parish relations committee at that time. I had to produce a, a call statement and those kinds of things. Now, the reason I tell you this part of the story is because as I produced the call statement, I thought about the calls of the Bible. And I will tell you honestly that all of us want a call story like Moses or Paul. We want flashing lights from heaven or we want a burning bush. And I wanted a burning bush or, and I'm comparing my call story and I'm looking for and maybe even embellishing in my mind where God was in all of this. You know, maybe it was that twinkling light as I saw uh, the complete night sky in the middle of the Persian Gulf or Maybe it was something that moved in my heart when I preached that very first sermon when I was 15. Whatever it was, I was looking for something and I was constantly comparing myself. And I think at that age, 
and even perhaps through our entire lives, we are always trying to figure out who we are by comparing ourselves to somebody else. Well, was my story like that? Was my story like this? Was my story like this other thing? Uh, we are constantly making those comparisons. So I looked for myself in Moses, the burning bush, and I, you know, maybe those stars were a burning bush for me. I don't know. And then maybe, maybe it was like Paul with like a flash of light. You know, you got fire, you got light. Those are two key things in the Bible. You know, maybe that's it. Maybe I wanted a big story because I thought that, you know, I thought of myself as big and important. I was big and important, and God wanted to use me in big and important ways. And I had in my mind an idea about what big and important was. Change the world, and change the world like the whole thing, all at once. You know, God was going to speak to me, and I was going to speak to the world, and the next thing you know, whoosh, the whole world was going to be saved magically. Uh, I guess that's how 15-slash-19-year-olds think. Uh, I guess slash 18-year-olds think. But the truth of the matter is, as I look back on the trying to compare myself to, to these call stories, I'm not sure I want a Moses or a Paul call story. Do you know why? The more I look at their stories, I think that they got big call stories because they were spiritually obtuse. <laughs> look at them. All Moses is doing is watching out for some sheep. Now, he knows he's a Jew, he knows he's a Hebrew person, but he ran away from Egypt after he murdered somebody, and now he's just tending flocks. We don't even think he's particularly a spiritual person. He's just watching sheep. That's his life. I mean, we're all spiritual people, don't get me wrong, but there's nothing. He's not a priest. He's not anything big. He's just Moses watching his father-in-law, Jethro, who happens to be the priest of Midian, watching his sheep while his father Jethro does priest of Midian stuff, whatever that looks like. Paul, on the other hand, he's a really religious guy, only he's got the wrong side of the story. He's hunting down followers of the way. That's what they call Christians in that first century. Followers of the way, he's hunting them down because he wants, he wants to bring them in chains. He wants to tie them up and, if possible, kill them because they're heretics. Let's get rid of those bad boys. Do I really want to be like Moses, spiritually obtuse, or Paul, spiritually obtuse, enough that God has to blind me or set a bush on fire that doesn't burn up? I, admittedly, I am pretty stubborn, and maybe those are the kinds of things that I will need as I continue along in this, in this journey. But the truth of the matter is, your call story doesn't have to look like Moses. It doesn't have to look like Saul or Paul's. Because for every unique person, God is at work in our lives in unique and beautiful ways. The one thing we all share absolutely in common is that God loves us beyond measure, infinitely, unconditionally. God already loves you, but God loves you for you, not for Moses. God doesn't want you to be Moses. God doesn't want you to be Paul. God doesn't want you to be Peter or anybody else. God wants you to be you. God didn't want me to be somebody other than James. And that's where the third person in the title of my sermon came up. Moses, Paul, and James. 
I'm not talking about the New Testament, James, although I guess I am from the long line of New Testament stories. I'm talking about this, James. God doesn't want you to be Moses or Paul, and God doesn't want you to be me. God wants you to be you. That's why God made you that way. That's why I read you that one-minute thought. Look at what God has wired into your heart. Look deeply within yourself and discover who it is God's calling you to be right now. What is it that God's calling you to do right now? Oh, I've missed out on all the opportunities. I could have done this. I could have... That's gone. That's done. Whining about the past is not going to change it. It's not going to do anything. You can be sorry you didn't do something. Apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. You're forgiven. I absolve you right now. But the bottom line is, all you've got is now, right now. Now, most of our problems in the world is we, we're never now. We're somewhere else. Maybe that's why, we, that's why we're in love with Paul's story or with Moses' story. Because until we get the burning bush, we're not going to be now. Maybe the whole reason Paul and Moses could get burning bushes and lights from heaven is because they were now. They weren't yesterday and they weren't tomorrow. They happened to be in the moment and God ambushed them. God's looking to ambush us because most of the time I'm either regretting the past or planning for the future. I'm not here. I want to tell you one time that there's an exception to that every week for the most part. The sermon. I prepare all week long for what I'm going to say, and then I get up here and I just say whatever seems to come from all the preparation. That's an unusual approach. Some people would question. I'm sure my several preaching professors would say, James, that is an absolutely terrible approach to preaching. And for them it would be. But for me, it's the way I am authentic with you every Sunday morning. And this is what I bring to you, myself in this moment, what I have to offer, what God has to offer through me in this moment. Maybe I can be your burning bush or your light from heaven if God works through me that way and then through the Internet to your computer room or wherever you are. But instead of trying to compare yourself, instead of trying to measure yourself by someone else's story, see the stories for what they are. Beautiful stories about how faith affected Moses, affected Paul, or somebody else. In my case, James, how it affected James. And if you find some commonality in it, great. But don't try to adopt the story as yours, because it's not. It's Moses's, or Paul's, or James's. You have a story because God made you to have that story. And you can live that story now. You can be the person God wants you to be now. If you can give yourself over to the calling God has for you now. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at some more obscure calling stories in the Bible. They're not unknown calling stories, but they're obscure. And uh, they're all for named people. Uh, but the bottom line is, 
I think we spend so much of our lives trying to figure out who we are in comparison to someone else. We forget to be who we were made to be, just that person. I can't be you, and you can't be me. And I can't be Moses or Paul or Jesus or Peter. Maybe I have a lot in common with Thomas. You know, I don't know. In the end, looking at those commonalities may remind you, push you up against who you really are. But in the end, the only way you're going to discover who you are is give yourself over to God and say, God, I've spent such a lifetime being who I thought everyone else thought I should be or being even who I thought I should be instead of who I really was. I've tried to project success. I've tried to project uh, uh, competence. I've tried to project uh, wisdom. I've tried to project intelligence. I've tried to do whatever it was. I've tried to project that so other people could see it. I've hidden behind the face of all those things. But behind all that stuff, there's a real person, the one God made you to be. It seems like we spend the first half of our lives building up this persona, and then we spend the second half of our lives, which, by the way, I'm in the second half of my life, unwrapping that persona, saying, wow, why did I ever think I had to be that guy? I don't have all the answers. Why do I have to pretend like I do? Who does it really make anybody happy? It doesn't make anybody happy, including me. So I'm not the answer guy anymore. I used to need to know all the answers, every answer. Before I came to Bible study, I even knew what, which, which languages you know, this was written in and how it was translated. And oh, that word means this and that and the other thing. Well, that's great. Those are nice things to know. But in the end, do you know the God behind those stories? Because otherwise, they're just stories on a page. This call story I shared with you this morning, and it goes on. And it looks different. And you know, one of the wonderful things that I've discovered about being the pastor of St. James, and you all have given me this gift over the last 28 years. Maybe not quite the full 28 years. After the first five or six years, you gave me this freedom. I've been the pastor that fits who I am in this community. I haven't been the pastor that's on a list that, by the way, in the Book of Discipline is three pages long of all the things that are my responsibility. I have been who I am. And over the years, you've either loved or not loved so much that person. You've given me space to evolve into the person God made me to be today. And at St. James, I would like us to be a place where we give you the space to become who God wants you to be. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Not the person that I tell you on Sunday morning you're supposed to be. Because I do my best not to do that. I, I don't know. If I do, call me out. And I know some of you will. I can't tell you who to be. I can just invite you into a space where you can be who you are. Because that's who God wants you to be. If you're looking for answers... I can't always offer them. 
but maybe we can find the right questions together and trust that God will reveal the answers in God's time. One of my favorite lines is these days that I sit with every single morning. It's not even from the Bible, although I sit with some of those lines too. It's from a poem by Teilhard de Chardin, and I've shared it with you before. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. I mean, after all, God's been at it for 13, 15, 17 billion years, waiting for us to show up. It's a slow work. It's a process. And God patiently waits us out. Trust in the slow work of God in your life. You know, every moment is a beginning, an opportunity for you to say yes, and then yes again. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's yes and yes and yes and yes. Lord, right now, what are you calling me to do? Right now, what are you calling me to do? And if we learn to be awake enough, maybe we'll get our own burning bushes or bright shining lights from the sky. And maybe it won't be because we're spiritually obtuse or hallucinating. Uh, it will be because we see things through God's eyes. I don't need an outlandish or uh, supernatural call story to know I'm doing exactly what God wants me to be doing. This is, this is it. There are some days I question, usually when I'm filling out charge conference reports, but uh, other days, not so much, not so much. I hope for you that you're gonna find that place in your life where whatever it is you are doing, whoever it is you're being, is in tune with who God made you to be and what God gave you to do. And we're going to unfold that a little bit over the weeks to come. My challenge to you this week, get out your journal or a piece of paper. Write down what, what you feel like God might be calling you to do. It doesn't have to be, preach a sermon at St. James, you know, found a church. You know, save all people from poverty. I mean, you know, maybe that's what you're called to do. And if you are, okay, write it down. But write down and think about it for a moment. What gifts did God give me to make that happen? What gifts did God give me to make that happen? What do I find that I do in life that gives me life while it's giving other people life? Those are questions worth asking yourself as we spin the stories and hear the stories of some of our sisters and brothers in faith over the weeks yet to come. I hope you'll join us for this series because it excites me to talk about the sense that every single one of you watching this video live or later is called by God and loved by God. Every one of you without exception.